sleep, motherfucker. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Hey, it's Brian. Hey, it's Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, everybody. Let's talk about rock and roll innuendos, sex, drugs, and all the things that make life worth living. All those things about your favorite bands and your favorite songs, and you wonder if they're true or not. We we do the research. We report back. We've clocked like more than 100 stories on this podcast at this point, and we've always kept the naming mechanism that we started with, which you and I used to have a little disagreement when we started the show yeah. about whether or not to keep that naming mechanism, the versus mechanism, right? One person yeah. or entity against another, even when the story isn't really about a rivalry, right? We've we've just sort of kept it because it's a nice format. Every story yeah. has a conflict. We are the story guys. It's a fun and easy way to keep those core elements front and center. Yeah, because then, you know, once once it was started, like, there was no way to get out of it. All right. right? It, so, it sort of felt that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, and, yeah, and we did have that disagreement, but... I mean, it, it does make sense. And plus, it kind of frames it for people so that people understand what it's about. Right. It really does. Right. Yeah. But as the. So, to your credit. <laughs> thank, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's Megatroid. <laughs> thank you. Brian figured out it needs to be spy versus spy, like Listen, the thing at Mad Magazine at the end. I'm really glad we're committing this to a recording because this might be the first time anyone has ever committed to the record the fact that i was right about something so <laughs> well i'm keeping really? this it's getting framed okay. no okay ah, but listen i've done this before brian the funny thing about it is <laughs> the funny thing about it is i'm actually about to admit that maybe there's a flaw in that plan and it's, it's only this it's that uh as the naming has gotten more creative sometimes we've neglected actual rivalries that we should have reported on long ago a legit versus versus situation uh that maybe we've overlooked. And that's what I think we tackled today. A story that we have had plenty of nudging from the fans about. Thank you to all of you who have gently suggested we get this story together. You can suggest and comment too. It's we are the story guys at gmail.com on the email. Um, let us know if we are missing something, but today we miss no more when it comes to the story that swirls around the competition, the rivalry, the animosity between George Lynch and Don Dockin. Oh my God! We're really talking about George Lynch and Don Dock, and I'm so fucking excited. I can't even stand it. Oh my God! Oh my God! Okay, okay, we're going to talk about them. But oh can we? My gosh! Can we? Oh my gosh! I'm hitting my head against the wall, excited. <laughs> can we start with a personal story? Oh, can we ahead. start with a personal story for me? Even though we're going to yeah. talk about these guys that you love more than me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, as a teenager, I had a pretty relaxed temperament. I still do. I was not prone to what one might call a schoolyard tussle. Not a lot of fighting in my history. <laughs> you also called it a schoolyard tussle. So you never got into a fight. I never got Brian. in a fight. I do yeah, think. Because you call them tussles. I, I think I pushed this kid named Clifton in the bathroom once in fifth grade. But his name was Clifton Gifford. So he sort of like had it coming. Um, Ooh, I got something. But despite this very nonviolent past, I have one repeated strike on my record. And that is a regular tussle, as I like to call it, with my friend Lee. Lee and I, still great friends, one of my best friends, who we text regularly, we keep in touch. He has a family down in Florida. He practices law. He's successful. He's charming, all that stuff. 
we have similar temperaments, both laid back. I can never remember really ever being sort of mad at Lee, but despite that, and I think it was just due to extreme proximity in our teenage years, I have multiple stories of Lee and I just deciding to punch at each other. It, it's weird, like skinny guy scuffles, because we're both still very skinny guys. And yeah. it would last like mere minutes, if that. we just dust ourselves off, not be able to remember why we were even irritated, and then we would commence as if nothing had happened. But something had happened. Two very skinny best friends had swung at each other, released some aggression, and moved on. So my question to you, Murdoch, is yeah. did that ever happen to you? Yeah. Okay, like who, who did you tussle slash scuffle with in your past and then just sort of like brush it off and move on on a regular okay. basis. I made a note to myself just now because I want to, I, I want to like make amends with someone. So like we did it. <laughs> We're doing we therapy. It. We're doing therapy on rock and roll bedtime stories. We, this, we, we should charge. It. We did it almost automatically. He and I ourselves. So I'm middle school, I guess. And and I'm I'm putting up the chairs in the cafeteria, you know, when okay, the teachers yeah, uh-huh. give you work to do because yeah. they don't they don't have another person to do it, right? Yeah. Um. So it's me. I'm in there, and you can imagine what a freaking dork I am with the mullet, and I'm taking whatever uh, whatever s- steroid they had me on, so I have the moon <laughs> face and like a big belly or whatever cortisone or whatever the f- hell that freaking weird doctor I was oh, taking like man. steroids for six months and I gained all this weight and got really depressed and turned into this person. So I'm putting <laughs> all the I'm stacking the chairs and I'm not paying any attention. And I just like just throw like throw a couple of chairs with abandon. And what I do <laughs> like the, you I were, don't, like you were putting them up. But yeah, I'm just like hey, over the table, like yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, but you're doing it haphazardly. I got you. But when I do, it goes over the table and it hits this guy. I'm not going to say his last name because I want to see if I can find him. this guy named his name's Dathan. And I was laughing as I threw the chairs over. Dathan flies around the corner of the table and punches me right in the face. <laughs> Fist right in the face. And I'm like, oh, I have at that point, I hadn't been hit in the face um, since I was, I guess, in fourth grade. Oh, um, took a by, few years off. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, didn't work out for that guy. But, <laughs> so, but I'm, I was like holding my face. and I was like, dude, what did I do? And he goes, you do the fucking jersey on me. And I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. And we like made up immediately. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe it. Um, but that was like, that was a, uh, that was the tussle. Okay. Uh, that was good. That I had, yeah. Th- that was good. If this was our but, old podcast story, guys, you'd win the points. That and was, that was nice. We did not talk about DACA, but go ahead. <laughs> so I bring I bring these scuffles up because I was viscerally reminded of this with Lee when I read the opening paragraph to this piece from 2015, written by Paul Elliott for Louder Sound. It is an article called DACA, the hair metal band that hated itself. And <laughs> We're going to borrow a lot from it today. It's excellent, and of course, it's in the show notes. But this article opens with the band docking in the back of a limo in London, headed to Wembley to open for ACDC, when George Lynch, the guitar player, reaches over and punches lead singer Don Dockin. Yeah. 
this is Dawkins' recounting of the incident. Quote, he jumped me. He got me in a headlock and started punching me, and we just went at it. Now, I have another question for you. I feel like putting someone in a headlock inside a limo is not a real fight. <laughs> Do you agree? <laughs> no, no. It's just kind of a, I'm going to beat you up. Kind of. This feels like me rolling around swinging wildly at Lee on his parents' front lawn. Like, yeah. <laughs> Part, part of the reason I see the similarity is because of what happens next in this story. So they arrive at Wembley. Their stage time is fast approaching. The managers are waiting on them. They shrug it off. They walk on and they play the show. But yeah, yeah. It, the tension and animosity goes really deep for these two dudes. So let's talk about Doc. And we're, the, the structure of this episode is going to be a little different. We're, we're going to very quickly sort of go through the highlights of their career, and then we're going to go back to the beginning of their career. But let's talk about... It, it takes them a while to get famous. They, they don't get famous fast like pop bands did in this period. We've talked about Culture Club and Wham! on this show in the last six months, and both of them like ascended and then burned out very, very quickly. Short period of years. But for Dokken, it takes a while, and it takes a few albums. Uh, Breaking the Chains comes out in 83. It doesn't perform. Um, luckily, we'll talk more about this, but they have the same management as Def Leppard, and Def Leppard's taking I just off. Wanna, I just want to say, Breaking the Chains didn't perform? For who? is <laughs> <laughs> a great record. Heavens to Megatron. Brian, you know nothing about the docking. Okay. Well, I have a feeling that me saying that, it, if it rubbed you the wrong way, it probably made a lot of people upset because the, <laughs> the docking hive on the Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories email and social media is, is strong. So, I, uh. I, listen, I'm just reporting the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Um, so I'm talking about numbers by the numbers breaking the yeah. chains, the U S version there. I did actually find this interview where Don is talking about how pissed off he got because and we're, we're jumping ahead cause we're going to get into all this, but it gets released in Germany first. And there is a certain point where the German import is getting sold in America and people are going and buying the German import and not the, the American version of it which is remastered and sounds better in the whole nine yards, but because the other thing, and it's cheaper, it's like half the price, but because That's the right. thing's marked as an import, metalheads are like, oh, God, I have the import, and he doesn't get paid on the import, so there's this interview in like 84 where he's pissed off about it. He's talking about it. He's like, go buy the American version, people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to not say anything because I'm like wanting to like front sell like, well, the next record had the hit. I'm like, I just want to stop talking. <laughs> So just, just wherever well, you're going, we're, we're this, I'll join. This is what we're going to do. So you, you can do some of that, right? We, yeah. can, we, we can do some of that because we're about to sort of speed through the career. Okay. So like I said, they have this management that makes a deal with Electra Records. Pretty good management, apparently, because they have Def Leppard and they use it as a bargaining chip and they basically get Electra Records to give them a second chance with Dokken. And at this point, they pick up Pilsen and they make Tooth and Nail. And then in 85, they do Under Lock and Key. And now... They're starting to take off. Do I need? Can I rewind us just a little bit? I, I, I knew you would like to. Yes. Where? You, where what do you want to say, dude? Okay. <laughs> this is this is just, literally like you writing a Counting Crows episode and then making me shut up in, <laughs> when we get Crows. to the recovering the satellite section. So I, I'll back off. Go ahead. Listen, for me, it is all about George Lynch. Okay. 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 That's a good. You, you're you're going Lynchian today. You're you're choosing sides because this is a true versus. So you're yeah. gonna go George Lynch, not Don Dawkins. Is what you're telling me early out the gate with no information. 
I, I never listen. Hey, everyone that's listening, the first time, like when you're listening to Dawkins, did you ever go, man, Don Dawkins got the greatest pipe? <laughs> no, dude, you were listening to that guitar tone. And, and when they, in 84, when they put out Tooth and Nail, first just got lucky was like a minor thing but into the fire became like kind of an active rock rock hit mm -hmm. yeah but alone again came out i was 10 years old and i listened to that song still now <laughs> that song is cemented in my brain like stairway to heaven is okay it really is okay. yeah okay I'm serious. It's not as good. Under Lock and Key in 85 was the record that I thought that really killed everybody because Unchained the Night, the opening song, and then In My Dreams was a huge bit signal. And then It's Not Love was really good because if you watch that that <laughs> video, it changed who they like who they were. But they were never superstars. And there were reasons why that yeah. were not really known to like the you know us as consumers or rock fans or whatever sure you tee us right up right because when they get to that point things start to fracture in the band and if you ask don dockin he blames drugs this is a quote from don quote mick and george and jeff had a bond and that was drugs the three of them would get an ounce of coke and go off and do their thing i've never done cocaine in my life sure but Dawkins seems mostly mad at George Lynch. Here's another quote. When I met George, he had a station wagon and was sleeping in the back of it. <laughs> what a burn. What a sick burn. Okay. He had nowhere to go but up. Even so, when we got famous and we had money, he still wasn't happy. I don't know why I'm not a psychiatrist, end quote. All right. So I have a question for Don Dawkins. When when George Lentz was living in in the in that station wagon, did he was he as ripped and as hot as he is now? Because oh, George, are we talking about who ages better? We talk about who ages better. George Lynch wins hands down. This is this is a ridiculous conversation. We don't need to talk about this. It's like like really. So here, let's skip to this. Let's skip to this because I know you're going to enjoy this, and we're going to enjoy it together, even though it has no bearing on the episode. What so let's let's skip to Lynch and Sweet. I mean, I, if I need to inform the masses who Lynch and Sweet are, it's George Lynch making music with Michael Sweet from Striper, which is a sweet spot for me, oh. all puns intended. Wow, so crazy. So if you watch a video, they put out a video in 2017, uh, and it is them walking through Amoeba Records very aggressively. <laughs> and Michael Sweet looks like he is, he looks cool. But he's trying very hard. He's got a lot of hats and jackets and there's stuff happening. George Lynch is like in a freaking brown t-shirt owning the world. Like he's owning the world in this video. You're like, th there's no competition. That guy's the coolest motherfucker on the planet. Like he's just killing it. And so to your point, yes, George Lynch has still got it uh, as, yeah. as we enter the 2020s. Yeah, right. But, okay. Let, let's get let's get back to the chronology here because we, we got plenty of time to talk about Dokken. In 87, they put out Back for the Attack. More successful than anything else by the numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Number 13 on the U.S. charts. They do a little song called Dream Warriors.
Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Yeah, with Freddy Krueger. Which is a wild video. Can we talk about the video? Because the video is Dokken scaring Freddy Krueger. Yeah, it, it, it's totally it's totally weird. And 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 listen, man, I, I mean, I, I know we're like come from like different like everything or whatever. But like that record is so the production on that record is so interesting. It's like dry. There's no reverb on that guitar at all. Like it just sounds really dry, but somehow it, it's OK. Um, and I listen to that record from beginning to end. That's a metal record that I could listen to from beginning to end and probably still like now but the production on it is like feels like metallica's injustice for all like there's there's no give on it mm. there's no like life to it kind of it's, like fun- it just- it's funny that you, it's funny that you brought up metallica yeah it, have- you know what you know what happens next right there yeah yeah they go on the monsters of rock tour and and so Dawkins g- goes out and so it's van halen Dawkins, metallica kingdom come we have it's talked so about fun. on the show please go find that episode if you have not heard it because it's a lot of fun kingdom come yeah um and metallica is out with barely the whole set of what happens for the justice tour and they're doing justice songs in front of people and no one has any freaking idea what they're like people are getting punched in the face before metallica goes out and starts doing these sheds in front of eighteen thousand people with the seats and the lawn and all that they went from theaters to sheds pretty much right after monsters of rock but this was a weird tour like mtv like did a lot of press for this like you can go on youtube and, and find clips of it and stuff yeah 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 but let's talk about what happens if you are the if you are the fan who goes to this show first you see kingdom come then you see Metallica. And yeah, they're sick. Of- then you have to watch Dokken. Yeah. And into and the fire. Th- this is a quote from Don Dokken himself. After Metallica went out and played Master of Puppets, we sounded like the fucking Partridge family, end quote. Yeah, I mean, right? Now, I, I read an interview where Don claims that the New York Times printed that during Dokken's set, quote, a record number of hot dogs were sold. <laughs> Which is oh. a sick bird. But I went looking to verify this, and I found the New York Times 1988 review of the Monsters of Rock tour in New York in their archives, and it does not say that. So I don't know if that's just good storytelling from Don Dokken. Maybe somebody else said it and he got it confused. If he just wants to illustrate his point, and it makes better sense to use the Times as opposed to the, you know, the, the Richmond Courier or whatever. But... Regardless, he was self-aware enough to know that they were getting buried on this tour by Metallica. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there are, I mean, think about it. This is 87. And so there are YouTube clips of Metallica's performance. Not like I've tried to watch them and find them, but none of them are ever like straight on. They're like from the side of the stage and they're not really good fidelity and it doesn't really sound good. But by looking at it like you're looking at here's Newstead, so no Cliff Burton, and and you have this like heavy as shit band. And what Brian said, they were on second. And that's like, crazy. Well, so yeah, they actually shared management at the time, Dawkin and Metallica. And Don claims he begged to play before them and the management would not let them. Yeah. But he will tell you. The reason they sucked so bad was not just because Metallica was so badass. He brings it back to the drugs. He says everybody but me was high, and, and actually he was 
he wasn't in great shape either. I'm reading from the louder sound piece now. The pressure was getting to the singer. He was suffering anxiety attacks, self-medicating with Valium and alcohol, and rightly or not, blamed George Lynch for the mess that the band was in. It was after the final show of the tour that Don called a meeting with the band management and senior figures at, figures at Electra and delivered an ultimatum. Quote, I said I couldn't continue to play with Lynch. I told Jeff and Mick that we could continue, but that George and I had to come had come to a crossroads and this is over. Lynch, I'm still reading from Louder Sound, Lynch remembers it differently. He says Don had planned to break up the band before Monsters of Rock. He claims that Don had told him, quote, I'm not going to tour with you guys after this. If you're not going to give me the name, I'm going to sue you, and maybe you can work for me. I will hire you. Lynch says that this left him feeling, quote, completely demoralized on the Monsters of Rock tour. (laughs) So, according to George, it wasn't the drugs. It was bad management. They sucked because they were told they were being fired. You know, it kind of feels like... George is just kind of a drag. I mean, like, look, look whose side I've I've already taken my side, right? I, I should just step away from taking. I, I know. Side. See, I like that's why I said when you you jumped in early and went Team George, and we gotta we gotta look at all the sides. Uh, Electra doesn't want the band to break up for obvious reasons because they're fueled by capitalism, so they offer ten million dollars for two more records. George walks. Dawkins says he'll do it with Pilsen and Mick Brown, and then he gets a big surprise. Pilsen and Brown tell him they're Team Lynch. When Don tries to form a version of the band without those three, they sue him and win. Because Dokken at some point had been dumb enough to send a written notice that said, if you stay with George, I'm out. So the wow. judge ruled that he had legally released himself from his own band that went by his own name. Oh my gosh, I didn't know this at all. Because I, I, I sort of followed how Doc and like went out on tour and then George wasn't on tour with them. The rat thing was more interesting because like there was two rats for a while, like yeah, Gallagher yeah. and Gallagher yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, we're not going to get a lot to like post 1990, uh, version of Dokken because they do end up getting back together and, and George comes back for a while and then George is out for a while. Currently, I will tell you this spoiler alert, George, when Dokken plays right now, uh, sometimes George tours with them, and I guess maybe he's playing on the bill. Like he's maybe some version of Lynch Mob or George Lynch is playing separately. But then he will play like three songs with them. And I did read this really weird interview where Don Dawkins was trying to explain. Like I don't remember if it was Don or George, but one of them was trying to explain why he why he only does three songs. It was George. It it was not helpful. Like well, the stuff he was saying made no sense. I was surprised they printed it, and I was like, "This is this is super weird." Like clearly, there's something else here. But yeah, he comes out and plays three songs. So they they continue to have trouble. But this is like a classic rock and roll ego story, right? Like if you read some versions of it, including the louder sound piece, it seems a little bit like Don kind of gets the bad end of the deal. I mean. Don gets to say a lot that these guys were just drug-fueled a-holes. Like, he he is not afraid of the press, and he says this a lot. But why did the other guys, and specifically Lynch, have such animosity towards a guy who gave him a gig in a band that got very successful and provided opportunities that he was never going to find on his own, or he hadn't found on his own yet? Why is he biting the hand that feeds? Well, as you might guess, it gets a little complicated. I think now what we do, like I said, is we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to go to the Doc and Origin story. Oh, cool. And I know nothing about this, and I'm excited. 
Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I love talking about rock and roll history. Not as fond about talking about my immune system and my gut health. But if you get in a situation where you are having problems with those things, it becomes very, very important. So let's get you in a place where you're not having problems with those things. I say that because Athletic Greens was created by a guy who experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on this complicated supplement routine that cost him 100 bucks a day. And he said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And that's when he came up with this. It costs you less than $3 a day. It's lifestyle friendly. doesn't matter if you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, like half of my house. Any of that is fine. This will still work for you, and it's going to do things to help your nervous system, your gut health, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, all that stuff. Find out. It's simple. All you have to do is head over to athleticgreens.com slash emerging and take ownership over your health and pick up a little daily nutritional insurance. They're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Now, back to the show. We're going back to familiar territory for this show, and it's the same scene and atmosphere that birthed Van Halen. Late 70s, Los Angeles. If you've heard any of our episodes on Eddie and the Boys, one which features George Lynch heavily, you will remember that Van Halen has a real struggle getting signed. This is like their thing. For years and years, through most of the 70s, they can't get people to take them seriously. They're just a cover band, right? And you'll remember that part of that is at the end of the 70s, in L.A., heavy metal is not a respected genre. And that's where we find Don Dockin and George Lynch, right? Different bands, same scene, both struggling, both unable to find their footing and the success they want. But I think part of this story really can be summed up in citing the different approaches that these two dudes have for trying to change their lot in life. Now, George... He just keeps pounding it out. Lynch has this band, The Boys, who played alongside Van Halen on that fateful night that Gene Simmons showed up, as we've discussed. And after this, he starts a band with Mick Brown called Exciter. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is also Kiss song on Lick It Up. But keep going. <laughs> but through all of this, George is always looking for the door or window that he's going to climb through to get into rock and roll stardom. Right? He clearly has some motivations. in. One of the things he tries to do more than once is play for Ozzy Osbourne. Do you know anything wow. about this? No, I didn't know anything so about this. George Lynch goes up against both Randy Rhodes and Jakey e. Lee at different times in auditions. Wow. Wow. And I'm surprised he didn't get the gig that Jakey e. Lee got. So he says he did. I, he says he got it, and then Ozzy changed his mind, which is deliciously on brand for Ozzy, so I sort of believe it. But he says that there were like three days where he was appointed Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist. Wow. And Jakey e. Lee got screwed big time um, by Ozzy. Anyway, stepping away from that conversation. Dawkins, on the other hand, if George is staying in L.A. and battling it out and trying to make his own destiny, Dawkins, his solution to beating the system is to skip town. Actually, skip the country. If I can't make it in L.A., I'll make it overseas. So he goes to Germany. Of course. Because, you know, why wouldn't you? That's uh, where Jerry Lee Lewis went when he got 
kind of disgraced here in America for marrying his 13-year-old cousin, became a superstar in Germany. Classic move. So there's this fun artifact, Murdoch, that you'll have to go check out in the show notes. It's from Artist Magazine, which is not a magazine I was familiar with. Early 80s. Somebody has put it on a subpar website. Um, but best I can gauge, it looks like it was published like 84-ish. In Dokken, it's just an interview with Don. And he is full-on bravado in this interview. And he starts talking about how he has stayed metal through the times in the 70s when it was not respected. <laughs> when everybody else chickened out. <laughs> metal was not respected in the 70s. He, 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 refers, he refers to Exciter at one point, which of course, again, George and Mick's band, as, quote, a popular heavy metal band gone wimp. And the, interview, the interviewer asks him, why did they go wimp? And this is his response. So I'm reading from Don 1984. Because you couldn't make a living. You couldn't get a job in L.A. playing heavy metal. They called it dinosaur rock. This is when the knack was really peaking. Heavy metal was on Monday nights at the Troubadour. I'd gone to Europe because heavy metal was still big there. Okay. All right. All right. So literally, if everyone thinks L.A. sucks, I will no longer be from L.A. This is... This is Don Dawkins' plan. I will now be from Germany. Now, this reminds me. <laughs> it's actually the opposite, but it reminds me of like 15 years ago when my pal was trying to make it as a voiceover professional but lived in Arkansas, and all the work could be done at his home studio, but it, he, the area code still mattered, right? Because it was 15 years ago. So Vonage had just come out and was like selling phone numbers, and so he bought himself an L.A. area code. Yeah, Vonage. Yeah. So I actually, during the research of this, I Googled, is Vonage still around? (laughs) It is. Uh, Okay. There is something to that, I think. There's something about being associated with a place. And so Don Dockin distances himself from L.A., and he goes to Germany. And through a convoluted series of events and people, he gets connected with Dieter Dirks. Do you know who that is? Sort of. Producer of the Scorpions. Sings. And so there's a a couple versions of this. One of them is that Don Dokken, like Klaus Mina's having some sort of trouble with his voice. Yeah. Which he had, which he had periodically. Yeah. And so the, like this guy has this plan that like maybe Dokken can be the new singer of the Scorpions because he sounds enough like Klaus Mina. So there's like, supposedly there is a version, one of the records in the early 80s, he actually <laughs> records all the tracks for. Have you heard this? No. Like saying Dokken could be Klaus is like saying Poison can be the new Wagner. Like it's so freaking stupid. Well, it doesn't end up working out, obviously, but he does sing backup on that record, that record that he like recorded lead vocals for, apparently. And then... Uh, it gets him invited to do his own demo. Now, ah. what we're about to get into, there's a bit of he said, he said that happens um, when this story gets on Earth. In fact, we're going to go to what I think we can now adopt as a core text of rock and roll bedtime stories. We're going to go to chapter five of the excellent oral history of the 80s metal uh, book called Nothing But a Good Time. Uh, oh, yeah, which is great. Former guests on the show, Richard Beanstock and Tom Bajor, wrote that book. You can go back and listen to us talk to them last summer when we talked about Poison and Guns N' Roses. But they have side-by-side versions of this story 
from Don Dockin and George and Mick. And this is why this book is so great is because they actually got all these interviews. Like they, it, you, you learn this when you do as much research as I do around rock and roll. But when you get outside of the big, big names, some of these bands have not really engaged with press, right? And so, or they have, but they haven't engaged with like an actual book deal. And Dokken's sort of one of these bands. So I went to look for a core text on Dokken, and really all I could find was this book that basically like a super fan had written a few years ago, and he got Don and Pilsen, but he didn't get Lynch. Lynch and Mick wouldn't engage. Yeah. So it, it just wasn't, it's not the full picture, right? But these guys got everybody, and then they're able to put all of the statements next to each other. So here's the best I can do to untangle this. Dokken goes to Germany to make this demo. He gets there, and he needs songs. And he's familiar with George and Mick. They know each other and they're because they're all from this music scene. And he remembers that there's this song their band Exciter used to do that he likes, or he likes part of. Now, remember I said Don thought he was more metal than everybody else? Yeah. And that... And he was throwing Exciter under the bus early in his career, uh, calling them wimp. Well, when he tells this story, he says that Exciter was in a new wave phase at the time. And I did not verify this. I'm just going off of what Don says. Don says Exciter had gone new wave. So like George and Mick had cut their hair and they had like, I think they did have a female lead singer at one point. And, but they had these songs that they were doing that were metal songs before this. And since he needed songs, they weren't doing them. And he calls them and he says, hey, there's that one song I love that you guys used to do called Paris is Burning. Can, yeah. I, can I record that song? Can I have it and rewrite it? Is, is depending on the version of the story you hear is what he says. And he says that they told him it was fine. And so he kept the riff in the chorus and he rewrote the lyrics and the melody. George Lynch says this is not true. He says that they said yes if Dokken would meet with him, learn the songs, and they came up with an official agreement, like almost licensing. None of that happens. Huh. None of that yeah. happens. Don takes two Exciter songs, records them in Germany, and years later, George sees a contract that proves that Don Dokken straight up sold those songs. Mm, gosh. Now, meanwhile, so crazy. he records the demo in the same studio where Except is working. <laughs> and can, oh my gosh. Okay, keep going. I, I, no, I, just let, so, me know when I, can, I let me know when I can interject. Here's, here, here's a fine spot because I will tell you this anecdote and then you can talk about Except. So in that 84 interview from Artist Magazine that I found, Don is like off. He's off his hinges when he's talking to this interviewer and he just sort of like runs down rabbit trails. And at one point, he's telling this, he's telling the story about how he got the record deal. And he mentions Accept. And he's like, Have you heard of Accept? You're going to hear of them. They're amazing. And he's like, starts pitching Accept to this interviewer. So tell me your Accept story. Oh, okay. Um, I was talk talking to someone about what a vamp was. And oh, they yeah, asked yeah, what yeah, that yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I was like, Well, actually, the technical definition is like it's a chord progression or it's a chord that goes over and over again, but it's become slang of like, it's the song you play before you walk out. Right, like, right, it's the right. song before the, the curtain goes up. Um, so I was explaining this to my daughter, like what a, what a vamp was. 
um, I don't remember what, what we're into, but I was giving her examples. I was like, you know, Metallica's vamp is it's a long way for the top. You want to rock and roll by ACDC. Um, and when I was a teenager, Brian, I went to the Starwood Amphitheater, which was south of Nashville, a suburb in the middle of nowhere, two-lane road. It was a shed with 5,000 seats, 13,000 lawn, like kind of that familiar type of thing. And so I saw metal shows. That's what I saw. And they kind of played back in black the whole time. And it's the daytime. So before the opening act would play, they would start to play balls to the wall really fucking loud. And that was when you knew that the opening act was next. It wasn't born to be wild. It wasn't whatever like toxic by Britney Spears. No, it was balls to the wall (laughs) by accept, which is such a kind of, so you, you have some, you have some good feelings about accept. Yeah, and it's like a dirge of a metal song. Well, hey, thanks to someone from their camp, uh, that's the reason that uh, Dokken got there for his record deal. They go and, and basically get him a record deal in France. So Don now has a record deal and no band. So he comes back to L.A., and maybe this is proof that he really didn't think he'd done anything shady because he calls Mick Brown and asks him to be in the band. Again, Different versions of how this goes down. But Don says he asked Mick and George and they said no, so he just offered them money to come to Germany and be his hired guns. Mick says it went down like this. He says, yeah. and he he tells some, he has flourishes in his stories. He says that Don called him and he's living with George at the time. And when Don calls, they're sitting there together. Is how he makes it sound. And he puts his hand over the receiver and he tells George, Don has sold those songs of ours and he wants me to be in his band. And George is instantly like seeing red, right? Smoke coming out of his ears, the whole thing. And Mick claims that while George is in the room, head exploding, he gets back on the phone and goes, yeah, I'm in, but you got to take George too. Now, that sounds enhanced to me, but it is a pretty funny version of the story. That That is, yeah. Either way, they go to Germany. They record this record, and they think they're going to get a new name for the band. And Mick tells the story that they go into the warehouse to see the record pressing, and they open a box of records after they've done the work, and the record says Don Dockin, and has his face on it, and there is no mention of George or Mick anywhere oh in the liners. Oh, my gosh. I've never heard this story. How can you, how can you ever be in a band with... So... That's the question, right? They how can you how can you be in a band with this guy? And this is what happens. They go their separate ways because they're hired guns. George and Mick return to Exciter. Don starts trying to get distribution or a record deal in the good old US of A. And Don says, quote, I knew a couple A and R guys. I was begging them, please listen to our record. Every record company in town passed for a year and a half. Nothing happened. But in eighty three, Electra finally bites. They get that Q Prime management team that I told you about that had Def Leppard and a bunch of clout, and they end up making this deal that gets them famous. And so now it's been another couple of years. Don needs a band again, and he calls George again and asks him if he wants to be in the band. How weird. George says yes. And I think when I first read this, I was as puzzled as you. Why? do these guys keep coming back together? If this is how it started, and this is not the common 
story that you hear when you read press about this. You know that there's friction between George and Don, but it's never clear. I mean, like I said, Don's controlled some of the narrative and it just sort of sounds like George Lynch is hard to work with. But Don clearly screwed them in the beginning, stole their music. Not that not that the music made him a bunch of money or that they, he didn't come and bring them back, but he literally took their songs and sold them in another country and then put it under his name with his face on the cover and acted like... And there's also... I mean, when Mick tells that story about Don and the reveal in the warehouse of the records, he acts like Don's like, oh, I, have no, I had no idea this was going to happen. <laughs> but... yeah. I, here, here's what I, here's where we we can land, right? The relationship is toxic. Don's taking the songs. He's he's cut you out of a record deal, or, or cut you out of these records that you helped make. And there's some accounts that he didn't even pay them that fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars that he promised. Why would you sign on to do business with this guy? And what we keep forgetting is how badly these dudes wanted to be successful. I mean, remember the Van Halen story. George is stuck right next to them in the same struggle and watches them for years and years and years. He has, we've done an episode about this. When Gene Simmons goes to the club, he's going to see George Lynch. That's who he's going to see. And Eddie Van Halen walks on stage before George Lynch and it changes the trajectory. That's So, so true. I forgot that this is even part of the narrative. That's true. There, there is a really telling quote in that oral history book from Mark Kendall, who played in Great White. He was a contemporary, obviously, of all these guys. And yeah. referring to George, he says, that guy wanted to make it more than anything. Man. And that's how you find yourself in the back of a limo outside Wembley in a headlock. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, we did it. We did a docking episode. Oh my oh god, my, man. Oh my gosh. And and listen. I'm I'm yes. I I love docking. I'm just going to say it. And Under Lock and Key is a great record. And Back for the Attack is a great record. And I thought Beast from the East, the live record after that was great, even though that probably had like fake audience noise in it like all the Kiss records, the Kiss live records too. But when you saw them, they kind of look cool. And the reason why Don is the loser in all this, other than Don seems like the obvious loser. And obviously, if you don't agree <laughs> with us, make sure and send us an email. We are the story guys at gmail.com. I get it. Just blame me if you're team Don. But I always would read how people would talk about like they would make fun of Don. They would make fun of Don's yeah. voice. They, yeah. Like, you know, and and obviously as as the years have gone on, like people lose their their voices you know um i mean white snake just had to cancel their dates but i mean david coverdale's 70 yeah i mean for pete's sake but like don like you know he doesn't have that great of a voice he's close he's close to 70 he is my father's age yeah but you know what george lynch doesn't have to sing he just has to look like like just Iggy has to look Pop super cool sh- in a in a tight T-shirt, man. Yeah. Ig- Iggy Pop with no <laughs> shirt on and sounds amazing on on guitar. And they were a metal band that could have made it, um, but they there was just too many things that were 
that were in there. So. I mean, you know, here's the thing. I, like, I hear this story and I just think they've all gone on to play with a bunch of other successful musicians. They were surrounded by successful musicians in LA who were as hungry as they were. What's this animal attraction to each other? Why do they keep coming back together? I mean, I understand it from George's perspective of this is my one shot and I can use this. And he, that's what he does, right? He, he forms Lynch mob fairly quickly after he leaves Dokken and they do fine. Right. I mean, you know, if you're not a metalhead, you're probably it's, not running around listening to him. But it's middle of the road, kind of. Yeah. I mean, it kind of is for me. I tried, but you know, eh, you know. But it's okay. You know, and and he continues. So, so, like, he works with Michael Sweet. You know, twenty, thirty, forty years later, like all this stuff, they all come back together. But he could have just grabbed somebody else from the scene. Don Dokken could have. He's got all the cards. Why does he go to George? Is it because he knows George is so good? I will tell one. Yeah. I'll tell you one more anecdote about George yeah. that I don't know if we've talked about or not. That does come up in some stuff that you read that doesn't make him seem as appealing as he does with. Uh, you know, I mean, as much as we've said about Dawkins, right, being sort of problematic. Um, George, depending on who you talk to. And, and sometimes you'll hear this from George. Sometimes George will say he he doesn't say this. Other people say this. But there is some controversy around who invented Eddie Van Halen's finger tapping style. Mm, yeah, right. And and there's there's been some conjecture that maybe that's a George Lynch creation that got stolen from him. Now again, that's that's not a super widely held belief. But you do hear people say there is a guy in the oral history who's like a lawyer who they just drop in at some point. Um, and he's like, like, just because I think they were trying to balance the voice because Dawkins was sounding like a real a-hole. And so they dropped this guy in and he's like, you know, George Lynch just totally thought he made up that stuff that Eddie Van Halen invented. So he's sort of an a-hole too. And I was like, what? Why are they letting this lawyer talk in this book? (laughs) (laughs) Did you, uh, did you ever read or hear that when, when Van Halen was starting off that Eddie, Eddie had his back to the crowd? Oh yeah, I mean he was always struggled with anxiety on stage. How about how crappy those high school kids were to those guys that yeah, became yeah, multimillionaires? Yeah, 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 because they were immigrants, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, oh, immigrants—they're terrible. Eddie Van Halen, yeah, look what you got, buddy. Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, terrible. But hey, thanks for bringing Doc into the party. Which, by the way, no one has ever said ever. <laughs> I think I've ever. <laughs> Ever said, Mr. Scary. Listen, if you want to get involved in this show, uh, if you want to campaign for an episode that we should have already done, like this one, uh, please hit us up. We are the story guys at gmail.com. Leave us a review. We love we love it, especially if they're really nice. Uh when you when you drop a review uh at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, wherever you can do that. Um it gets the stars, that sort of thing. Help other people find the show so we can continue to yeah. grow this community and have these fun conversations about the music that we all love. And until next time, what do people need to keep doing, Murdoch? Oh yeah! We're the dream warriors! Ha! I keep telling stories, everybody. <laughs> Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.